It's that season again. Debates, arguments, and negative ads. All to try to convince you to vote for the candidate who has the best ideas to move our country forward. But it's easy to get lost in all the hype and know how to make things better. The politics of the earth are to be governed and fashioned after the politics of heaven. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. God has given us, His church, the authority to right the wrongs here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Charles Tapp offers a glimpse into what your role should be as a Christian in bringing God's kingdom to earth. In his message, The Politics of Jesus. There are many, I'm sure, who feel that the words politics and Jesus do not belong in the same sentence together. Some would even go as far to say that to imply that Jesus was a political figure or that he possessed any political views would be bordering on heresy. For them, Jesus and politics are words that are mutually exclusive of each other. As a matter of fact, I wonder if we were to play a word association game this morning. You know what I mean by that, don't you? I say a word and, and you say the first word that comes to your mind. If I say cat, you say, I wonder what words would come to your mind today if I simply said the word politics. For some would respond by saying the word dirty. For others, they would use the word scandal, while still some others might cry out the word ungodly. And in their minds, the question would be, why would Jesus involve himself in something that possessed such a questionable reputation to begin with? I believe for many today that the problem lies in their perception of of politics. And our perception, whatever it may be, has been formulated over the years by the kind of politics that we have been exposed to. And for many of us, I would say that it has been one of a very questionable nature indeed. For over the years, we have seen those who've been involved in politics, whether on a national or a local level in the political arena, where they have gotten themselves into scandal after scandal after scandal. And we have seen instances where the abuse of power is as clear as the noses on our faces. I would even go as far to say today that some of you might even feel contempt for the fact that I would even dare choose a title for a sermon such as The Politics. Of Jesus. But again, I believe the problem is with our perception of what politics is really all about. And lest we forget, their perception for many then becomes their reality. But if you closely examine the word politics, you will discover that it's not the four letter word that many make it out to be. For the word politics is simply defined as the methods or the tactics that are involved in the governing of a particular body or a particular system. 
And that body and that system can range from being anywhere from being the nation all the way down to the church. So when you look at it this way, what makes politics in many cases so despicable is the men and the women who devise the methods and the tactics that are used to govern that body. So when I use the phrase this morning, the politics of Jesus, in essence, I am saying that God has his own way of how things are to be governed and how things are to be run. And I guess you can say that in a sense, God has his own manifesto. And by manifesto, I'm referring to a declaration of one's principles and policies of how things are to be run. What is that manifesto, you ask? It is found in the heart of the first public discourse that Jesus ever gave, right in the heart of the most famous prayer ever given, the Lord's Prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 again. And the word of God says, In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you get it? No, I believe we know this prayer so well that many times we, we really miss the true essence of what Jesus is saying here. For in this, the most well-known of all prayers in the Bible, Jesus makes a declaration of how life on this earth should be governed. Verse 10 again says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There it is. Here are the politics of Jesus. Here are the methods and the tactics, the way that we should govern ourselves accordingly. For Jesus' manifesto is quite simple. The politics of the earth are to be governed and fashioned after the politics of heaven. Simply put, the will of God should be the driving force on how we should do things on the earth as it is done in heaven. And what are the principles of God's politics? They can be summed up, I believe, in two words. Righteousness and justice. And as any student of New Testament Greek can tell you, the word for righteousness many times in many instances, it's also the same word for justice. So when Jesus speaks of the righteousness of God, he is also referring to the justice of God. So although Jesus was not a, a political figure in the sense that he ran or he held some public office, he was very political from the standpoint that his public platform was one of righteousness and it was one of justice. You see, contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not 
merely concerned with the spiritual aspect of our lives, but Jesus is equally concerned about all the other issues that impact our lives on a daily basis. Look at the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus speaking here one Sabbath morning. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? Preach to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, he says, those who are oppressed and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In Christ's inaugural message in the synagogue that Sabbath, Jesus, in a sense, was giving his acceptance speech. Not to be the leader of any earthly political party, but the leader of the party of the kingdom of God. And in doing so, he reads from the very book in the Old Testament, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Don't miss this. There are those who completely spiritualize Jesus' words, and by doing so, they have done an injustice to the gospel, they have done an injustice to themselves, and they have done an injustice to the world. Lest we forget that Jesus was not only the Son of God, Jesus was also a prophet. And the role of a prophet was basically that he or she was to be the spokesman for God in search of justice for the people of God. And too often we look at the role of the prophet as simply one who foretells the future. But this is a very limited role indeed. And in most cases, this role is only used if the prophet's message goes unheeded. For Jesus, as we know, is closely foreshadowed by by many of the Old Testament prophets, but the one that most resembles him, I believe, is that of Moses. For although Moses was a prophet, his role was that of deliverer, and his message was on justice and righteousness. So when God told him to deliver his people. He didn't just mean spiritually because they, they, they could, before they could be delivered spiritually, they first had to be delivered physically. But when God raised up Moses to be the deliverer for Israel, it was with the intention that he would free them from the tyrannical leadership of an ungodly, unjust system that held them in bondage for oh so many years. Now, with this context as a backdrop, listen again to the words of Jesus as he says, I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to recover the sight of those who are now blind. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus physically literally restore sight Hmm? to the blind? Well, if this was meant to be literal, what about the rest of his 
proclamation. How about to let the oppressed go free? Listen, Jesus was not merely concerned with impacting them individually, but also the system that negatively impacted their lives. You had systems of government that had exploited the people economically as well as socially. And Jesus was preaching not only to the people, Jesus was preaching to those who were in charge of those systems. Jesus' interest in seeking justice was not limited merely to the social and the political aspect of the people's lives and all that they had to endure, but with the injustices that were being inflicted upon them Many times, not just by the governments, but by the religious systems themselves. In the book of Mark and and John chapter 2, we find two occasions here where Jesus literally had to go into the temple. And one time, the Bible says, he took a whip and he did not go to preach. But he went to set captives free all simply because of the unethical tactics in establishing an exchange rate of currency for those who were coming to the temple to give sacrifice to God. They were cheating God's people, and he didn't stop at just preaching a sermon about it, John. But he put a stop to the injustice. For so long, we have had this this very passive image of Jesus, forgetting that there was another side to him, a side that looked out for the oppressed and a side that that looked out for the poor, while at the same time Jesus was not afraid to challenge the systems that were responsible for much of the oppression and much of the poverty. This was the politics of Jesus. And this Dear friends, is to be the politics. This is to be the manifesto of anyone who calls themselves a child of God. Going back to the Lord's Supper, Jesus makes it clear, Lord's Prayer rather, Jesus makes it clear how the politics of heaven must become the politics of the earth. Going back again and reading, it says, your kingdom come, your will come be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must understand that the kingdom of God possesses a dual reality. For Jesus said, on the earth as it is in heaven. In essence, Jesus was declaring that the righteousness or the justice of God or the justice of the kingdom of heaven would reign upon the earth just as it is in heaven. But this, he lets us know, is conditional. For when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he is simply referring to the reign or the rulership of God. For the kingdom of God in simple terms, is simply what this earth would be like if God were king and not the other leaders who are. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, when asked by the Pharisees regarding 
the nature of the kingdom of God, Jesus responded this way. He says, listen, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is where, everybody? It is within you. Don't miss this. Jesus is simply saying that the only way the politics of heaven based on the principles of righteousness and justice, will ever be the governing tactics of the earth is that they first must reside in the hearts of the people of God. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Politics of Jesus. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else and so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged to get more encouraging content go to wgts919.com this is simple truths for life and god has given his church the authority to right the wrongs here on earth just as it is in heaven. Charles Tapp offers a glimpse into what our role should be as believers as he shares the rest of his message, the politics of Jesus. So when Jesus said in Luke 4 that he had come to set the captives free, he didn't mean that he would do it personally himself, but that this work will be carried out by those who should have the same body politic that he possessed. And you know who that is? The church. This is why in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Jesus uses the dual metaphors of salt and light to describe the church. And notice which one he uses first. He uses salt. Salt representing the physical difference that the church should be making in the lives of this world. But Dr. Plantag, how can we make a difference in the lives of the world if the salt remains in the salt shaker, Terry? If all we want to do is entertain ourselves with programs and, and concerts and, and just, just huddle together every Sabbath morning and have a very good time, and then we come back again next week and repeat the very same thing. Salt is no good if it stays in the salt shaker. When I was a kid, God bless my mom. Anybody ever have collard greens? You don't know what you're missing. My mom could make the best college, I mean, the best. And whenever I would put salt on those greens and I began to eat them, I would never say, you know, that's the best tasting salt I ever had. I would say something to the effect, no, those are the best tasting greens I ever had. You see, once you sprinkle salt into something, you don't even really notice salt is there. 
but you realize it's made a difference. And if we're to be the salt of the earth, we're not going to make a difference if we just stay in the salt shaker. And some of us don't want to even get close enough to mingle with the world. Well, doesn't the Bible say be in the world, but not of the world? Huh? Salt doesn't make a difference lying next to the food. It only makes a difference when it gets up close to the food, to the point where once it's made contact with the food, you no longer even see salt. Came across a quotation this past week from author and theologian Marcus Borg. Listen to how he puts it. He says in his book, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time, and I quote, Jesus repeatedly challenged the dominant socio-political paradigm of his world and advocated instead a politics of compassion. Jesus came to set up his kingdom in the hearts of his followers, the church, so that he could continue the work that he began. But the problem, as I alluded to earlier, is that the church, for the most part, has focused primarily on light, getting people to heaven. And there's nothing wrong with talking about heaven, but if you look at the Gospels, Jesus very little talked about heaven. But he did say in Luke chapter 19, occupy, get to work until I come. We're good at giving Bible studies. We're good at shedding light. I believe we shed so much light, sometimes we blind people. Never forget my daughters and I, we were at the harbor one day just having a good old time. I forget what we were celebrating. Oh, Fourth of July. You know, when you turn 50, stuff happens. And we were just having a good time, nice sunny day. And as we were walking along the harbor there, this man jumped out and handed us this, this tract. You believe in God? Some of us were good at that. We'll, we'll shine light as long as we can do it from a distance. See, light works from a distance. Salt doesn't. Jesus says, you are, you are, I am the salt of the earth. Which means then that the greatest force for social change in the world should not be the government, but the church. I do not believe that it was by accident that the civil rights movement of the early 50s and 60s that brought about so much relief on the economical and the social and the political realm of our country was birthed in the church. That wasn't by accident. But the question I pose to God's people today is simply this, where is the church today? Where is this body of believers whose manifesto it is to set the captives free and whose politics are founded on the principles of righteousness and justice? Where is that church? In many cases, the church is content with merely entertaining herself. Look at how Jesus describes the church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. He says, I say to you that you are what? 
Peter. And on this rock, not on Peter, but on Peter's confession that Jesus was the son of God. And on this rock, he says, I will build my what? Church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus speaks of the church here in an offensive mode, not just a defensive mode. Well, pastor, aren't we supposed to be peacemakers? You're right. But there's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. You see, once peace has been established, you send in the peacekeepers. And their job is to maintain peace. It's to maintain status quo. Peacemakers go into troubled situations, to violent situations, to turbulent situations, and bring about peace. That's what a peacemaker. Jesus didn't ask us to be peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Look at this quotation I have by Dr. Martin Luther King. It's one of my favorite quotes of his. One of these days I'm going to put it to memory. Talking about the church. He says the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state. It must, he says, be the guide and the critic of the state. And never it's what? Too, too many churches are allowing themselves to be prostituted by the world, to be prostituted by the government simply for a mere dollar and some coins. He says, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, not just talking about in the sense of predicting the future. He says, it will become an irrelevant social club without any moral or spiritual authority. Are we there yet? Is that us? When we speak, does anybody even listen now? Or are we just a social club? Get my offering, sing a couple of songs, fall asleep in the middle of a message. We're not the tool of the state. We're not the slave of the state. The church's job is to be the conscience of the state. So when the, when the state does something that goes against the manifesto, the principles of the kingdom of God, righteousness and justice, who should stand up first? The church. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, but who's the church? Let's look at this next statement here from Ellen White. When I first found this statement, I didn't know who authored it. When I found out it was from her, I went, you're kidding. She says, God has a church. It is not the great cathedral. Neither is it the national establishment. Next part blew me away. Neither is it the various denominations. Well, then who is the church? Is the people, she says, who love God and keep his commandments. So if you believe that the churches stand up, it's talking about you, talking about me. Listen, if we're going to be a church of prophecy in the truest sense of the word, then let us be agents of change. Let us strive to change the social conditions of the poor, the oppressed, and the downtrodden. Let us speak out against any unjust system, whether 
it has its roots in Washington or whether it has its roots in the church, which means helping those in New Orleans, Rwanda, across the street. Ultimately, the righteousness of Jesus will be fully realized at his return. But until then, my prayer is that God will give us the courage to be the church, to stand up and right the wrongs, to speak out when our political systems get out of alignment with the principles of the kingdom of heaven, even to speak out against ourselves when we go against the principles of God's kingdom from within. I pray that we will have the courage to roll up our sleeves and, and get dirty. I pray that we won't be afraid to, to start smelling like the world. But that's a beautiful scent to God. When his people start smelling like the world. Because it means they've gotten close to the world. How can I stand for the principles of righteousness and the justice and justice where I am? That's my prayer today, that we will have that kind of spiritual fortitude, that kind of courage to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Politics of Jesus. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Next week, Pastor Tap shares the importance of putting your trust in God in all circumstances as he delivers his next message, An Enemy at the Gate. <laughs>